So here we are today with the phenomenal Lettucey, who is my heart's dear friend, and I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> I am beyond excited. Hi, friend. <laughs> Hi, my friend. <laughs> you are having. Can, can I? I'm just going to really cuss and hope children are not with us. But you're having a fucking year. <laughs> And it makes me so happy. Listen. (laughs) I'm Anika Noni Rose, and this is Being Seen, an in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on Black women, Being Seen is a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, we have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception, impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity. We don't often speak of power and Black women together. And we should. Black women and femmes have known and wielded power in ways that have shaped everything from culture to democracy since before this country even began. We have walked it, sung it, spoken it, and breathed it into being. But power is often not easy to access, and there are many ways in which some attempt to keep it from us, diminish our voices, police our bodies, bar us from rooms, pull us apart. When it comes to power, where do we find it? How do we access it? What does it mean to sit in it? And how can we use it to protect each other? But let's begin with, what is power? Power to me is being able to stand, like you said, fully in who you are, not thinking of what others think, but owning your space in the world fully Mm -hmm. and freely and not overanalyzing it. Like, I've never, I've just took a breath and went for it. There are so many narratives about Black women's relationship to power, and I don't believe most of them. Neither does renowned author and thinker Roxane Gay. She's been making terms, stories, and cultural ideas complicated for a long time, and we deserve that complication. What is it to be a bad feminist? How can we change the way we think about using and accessing our power? And you have said that, quote, power and how it is wielded are far more complex than most cultural discourse allows for. Power is deeply embedded in nearly every aspect of our lives, from how we are raised to how we learn, how we love, how we hate, and how we move through the world, unquote. When you think about all of that in the context of Black women and our relationship to power, what comes to mind other than that boss-ass move you pulled. (laughs) You know, the primary thing that comes to mind is that when we think of Black women, we don't traditionally think of us as having power. And, you know, there is a, a sort of condescending cultural attitude that Black women are just sort of incredibly powerless, but despite that, we're here to save the world. And I'm interested in complicating that narrative 
because I think that Black women can be incredibly powerful, but powerful in ways that still allow for us to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable in, in some really unacceptable ways. Like the issues that Black women deal with you know, nobody should have to deal with. And I would say even women of color more broadly. Mm -hmm. I just want to complicate the narrative that we're completely powerless and that we don't know how to sort of make decisions that are in our own interests, that we don't know how to uphold our communities when in fact we do. And I think that we use our power in really savvy ways where we can and when we can. And you see that all the time. Um, Look at Tarana Burke, who... Mm-hmm. started an organization more than a decade ago for young women to understand that they are not alone in their experiences with sexual violence. And she has become one of the leaders of a movement. And, you know, that's power. She has an incredible amount of power. And she's using that power for such good. She could have just stopped, and she didn't. She continues to do the work. And when you see people like that out in the world continuing to do the work when they don't have to, I think it's really admirable. And I also think that there's still room for that person to be flawed and imperfect. You know, we tend to think if someone is powerful and they're doing good work, then there's no room for critique. But I think that there's room for critique and also room for admiration. These things are not antithetical. Um, I don't actually have a critique of her, but I, you know, I think that it's important not to put people on pedestals. I think that we can admire people without elevating them in ways that tend to become uncomfortable because when you elevate someone, you sort of leave them at an altitude that is unsustainable and we tend to leave them alone up there. And I don't think anybody really wants to be alone. Power can make us lonely. The attainment of it and the pursuit of it. How do we keep ourselves company when we sit in power, hold ourselves accountable there, and stay true to who we want to be and what we want to pursue? In many ways, no one has answered or maybe even asked this question more poignantly for me than my friend Lettucey. She is many things. A musician, an artist, an actress, and an insatiable creator. She has fought to define herself independent of others' expectations and assumptions, and in doing so, found her own specific and undeniable power. Do they like me? Will they accept me and receive me as I am? Or maybe I shouldn't do that so that I can fit in with everybody else. Or, But I love that I'm not worried about that. It, mm-hmm. I take each day as, okay, here's another thing. Let's get through it. I feel comfortable with that. Or saying, no, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. I always felt like I had to say yes to keep going. I said, no, I want to take a break now. Leave me alone. Or mentally, I'm exhausted. I can't hold all these hats at the same time. It was okay to say that. That's where I feel most comfortable with saying no. Because I can do a yes in a minute and make it work. (laughs) But now I have standards of I don't want to do that. The other thing that I'm still working on is loving myself in a way, wherever I am in that journey, loving myself, uh, meaning me physically, because it's changing. (laughs) You know what I mean? You get older, there's certain things that take time to hurry up, Mm -hmm. like metabolism or 
you know, okay, I got to go work out. I don't want to do it. So that's my only big thing right now. Other than that, everything else is what I'm used to doing. Yeah. And that's really honest. I've never said that. (laughs) There are so many who try to use power against us in all of the biggest ways, but also the everyday moments, particularly where we often find ourselves for hours online. These spaces have been a place where the judgments, the scrutiny, and the fear of others have been directed in particularly violent ways against Black women. In Poetry is Not a Luxury, Lord wrote, as we learn to bear the intimacy of scrutiny and to flourish within it, as we learn to use the products of that scrutiny for power within our living, those fears which rule our lives and form our silences begin to lose their control over us, unquote. This is an absolutely powerful way of thinking about how to respond to and deal with the countless microaggressions that any number of us feel each day. Your Twitter handle famously warns, you clap, I clap back, Mm -hmm. which I live for a clap back from you. (laughs) Gives me great joy, (laughs) but it pisses me off the things that come to you that you have to clap back to because people are so cruel and ugly and ridiculous. What can we do to tap into that sort of fortitude and security? Those of us who maybe don't, that's not their instant response to those things. How do we flourish within the scrutiny of the world and and find power there? I think one of the key things is to lower the bar. You know, I, I don't come to these things from a place of fortitude. A lot of the time... The reason I clap back when people clap, even though I'm doing it less and less because I just am spending less time online, it's because I was bullied a lot as a child. And it's nothing Mm. to cry about. We were all bullied as children. But Mm. I never had the words to stand up for myself. And I never had the confidence to believe I deserved to stand up for myself. I just sort of took my medicine like, oh my God, I'm a loser. Of course, this is happening. And... As an adult, however low my self-esteem might be um, from one day to to the next, I know that I am somebody Hmm. and that I don't deserve for people to sort of project all of their insecurities and fears and hatreds onto me and just take it in silence. And so many people are like, don't feed the trolls, and which drives me crazy. And I'm actually more inclined to block that person than the actual troll. Like, first of all, I'm grown. Don't tell me how to be online. (laughs) I I literally have been online since 1992. And I just think it's important for people to see the kinds of really horrifying things that people will say to a Black woman online. It's just appalling. Some of it is condescending advice. Some of it is, I'm an ally, why don't you love me more? Some of it is just, pure racism. Some of it is is fat phobia, homophobia, hair phobia. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. There is a class of people who are going to take issue with it. And so I am not going to sit silently in the face of that. And if it gives them a little more attention and that's what they want, oh well, because I get more from it. I get the satisfaction of knowing, not today. You are not walking on me today. Yes. And... 
I think it also allows other people to see that you can stand up for yourself too. Like just because someone trolls you online doesn't mean you have to like turn the other cheek or go high when they go low. Like I'm going to go under you if you go low. You need to know that. Access to power, the ability to use our power has real consequences. A lack of access amplifies the ways in which sexism and racism affect us, giving us a much bigger burden to bear. One of those is HIV. Black women are 12 times more likely than white women to receive a positive HIV diagnosis. 43% of black women living with HIV are not in care. Mm -hmm. One of those complexities is related to HIV and the disproportionate rate of infection that Black women experience, particularly in places like New Orleans. You have been thinking and speaking very powerfully in this space. Can you talk a little bit about when you first started becoming aware of HIV among, amongst Black women and why you decided to act and what some of the feedback has been in that space? Well, it started when I started to lose a lot of my theater friends in San Francisco. And then I started to advocate for awareness. And then I went deeper where I would visit other places. I worked with AIDS Walkathon, and then I started to work later. You know, it kept going back and forth years, but years later, I started working with different organizations locally. And I started to find out wow, this is affecting our women, Black women, everywhere. Not just New Orleans, but everywhere. I went to Baltimore, I went to D.C., I went to... I had a friend just help me travel to Zimbabwe. He passed away. We had the same birthday. But I, I won't say his name But right now, but we, we did a lot of things together uh, helping in uh, Africa, in Zimbabwe, helping the women there. But I think we can still do better. It's always, you can do better. Mm -hmm. But it has gotten better, meaning where there's places you can go to to get the help you need. I work with the Black AIDS Institute. That's the latest, the recent work that I've been doing and visiting places and talking to women, encouraging them, listening to other speakers who are surviving. And so I'm, I'm, I'm still learning myself uh, because I don't know the experience. I just know the l the loss of it, mm -hmm. losing the people that I have come close into contact with. And But I love that the people that do that work, they never stop. And the hospitals, you know, COVID just added a whole nother thing to mm -hmm. to it as well. So now it's changing. The dynamic is changing and still... I'm glad we're talking about it more than we, we did before. And I'm always be there to help raise funds, singing my face off, talking, saying I'm there, touching if I can, to be there for everybody that is dealing with that dynamic. So, gosh, why am I getting emotional? <laughs> this is hard. Yeah. Well, it is very emotional. It is very emotional in the way that we are able to speak about these things because it lays a layer of shame on there that makes people afraid yes, to even yes. get assistance, to even reach out for assistance. And that's not fair because there are people who won't make it because of a stigma that's being placed upon them. Yeah. 
And until we start speaking about it, there will be more Black women yeah. who are infected because we're not talking about it because people aren't because it's not what it was when HIV and AIDS first came out. No, it doesn't have that urgency behind it, but it's still here. It's still here, yeah. One specific power that we have is love. The way Black women love each other, love themselves, and love the communities and the families that we create and shape every day. That love connects us to each other in the present, but also to the past, to the women who have come before us and whose work, whose lives, whose creations are a power that we draw from that pushes us into our futures each day. Let's talk about love. Oh, Lord. You recently put out a heart-opening album that is a tribute to Nina Simone. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship to her as an artist and as an ancestor? Yes. Nina Simone, when I first heard her music, my mother would play her music. And um, the song, she would wake us up to Mississippi goddamn every morning and <laughs> bang on a on a, a pan with a wooden spoon. And I'm like, oh, my God. But we would never get up. And I thought it was a song she wrote. But when late years later, I find out that it's Nina Simone. That blew me away. Uh, I was like, don't do that to your children ever. But uh, I lo- I, when I really fell in love with Nina was when in a dark moment where I was uh, in my 20s, I was exhausted and um, had two albums out and had bills, bills and bills, just bought a house and couldn't afford it. And I was just drained mentally and I was deciding whether if I wanted to be on this earth or not still and I was contemplating how to leave and uh, I had the radio playing in my living room but I was on the porch in my rocking chair and all of a sudden this song Trouble in Mind comes on and it's Nina Simone banging on the piano yeah you know she starts singing Trouble in Mind I'm Blue but I won't be blue always. The sun is going to shine in my back door someday. So I said, ooh, that sound like me. I needed to hear that. So I ran into the room and just listened to her sing that whole song. It was a live version of it. And then they played another song by Nina. It was like somebody heard me. I need to hear more. And uh, it changed my mind. It opened me up. It said, you belong, you have to stay, keep going. And that's when I fell in love with Nina Simone. After that, I studied everything she did. I didn't study her, but I studied her passion, who she was and her advocacy. But everybody knows that part. But what I kept seeing was this woman who wanted to be loved and accepted and received But not only that, every time I would encounter her, it would be in a moment in my career where I had to sing one of her songs. So the first time I'm on BET, um, on television, the second time, because I did PBS first, but BET, then I I sang for women with Jill Scott and Marsha Ambrosius and uh, and, uh, Kelly Kelly Price. Yes, you did. And I... (laughs) And I... (laughs) And 
I I came in saying I gotta sing peaches. You know, this is your first television moment. You're gonna mess it up demanding things, but I knew I had to sing peaches. And that song and that performance garnered me a great management. It opened my career up to another level. And even now, putting out this tribute album, Let Us See Sings Nina, no one really knew what to do with it. But I said, fine, I'll just put it out myself because I kept trying to give it away and get help for it. So I said, fine, I'll do it myself. I did it. I finished it. It took a minute, but we got it done. And it's blown my mind. I've been on every jazz magazine that I've always dreamed of, downbeat, offbeat, New York Times did a review. I mean, it's like... A beautiful review. It was amazing. So by me honoring her for giving me a moment of clarity to get myself together, she's changed my life. That whole moment of giving this album, it's just due. And the fact that it had to come back to me to own it makes sense. (laughs) You know what I mean? The power of Black women's creations, thoughts, and writings is undeniable. The way they shaped and continue to shape us all. The work of Black lesbian and queer feminists is a particular beacon because they have known what it is to love Black women in all ways. I first came to Audre Lorde in college, I think. And throughout my 20s, I returned to her work quite a lot because I think she was the first woman I knew to be a Black lesbian. And as a very young queer, I was looking for ancestors or role models, and there were very few. And so her work was a beacon. And Mm. what struck me about her work then and what continues to leave an impression now is how audacious her work is, how unapologetic. She said what she wanted to say how she wanted to say it and with such clarity and such precision and I always thought I want to be able to communicate like this and I want someone to feel the way I feel when reading her work and so I just continued to read her work throughout my 20s, 30s and of course now my 40s because sometimes you come upon a writer whose work is timeless And I find that her work remains as relevant today as it did 20, 30 years ago, which in some ways is unfortunate in that Mm -hmm. she was addressing a lot of the same issues we continue to deal with today. The power of Black women in our multitudes, the ways we exist, how our characters are defined, and how we bring each other to life. When we hear four women, written by Nina Simone and interpreted by Lettucey. Peaches is just mad at the world, okay? Because she, she's been through it, you know? So I love the characters. I love that Nina wrote this song. It's Black women. And um, it celebrates it. Also, it gives our, shows our power and our journey. Uh, all, diff- all different shades and colors and feelings of us. And I had the wonderful opportunity of performing the song on BET, like I said, with uh, Marsha Ambrosius, Kelly Price, and uh, Jill Scott. And it was the first time 
I would be on that television for them. And I knew I don't want to sing it like the record. I need to add Lettucey to it. And my Lettucey voice is a trumpet and a wail. So when I sing up high, it gives this extra intensity that says, hear me. You're going to feel and hear me. And when we, we had to do that twice, that song. And the first time we did it, no one knew who I was or anything. And if you could hear the cuss words when I came out, my skin is brown. And I wanted to make sure it had power because it's Nina Simone. She wails. She doesn't sing like me, but I have another explanation point to it that I can add. And that's what I wanted to do. And I never performed it that way in rehearsals. I saved it for the show. The power of self-definition. What does it feel like to try to grasp it? And how do we access it? What do you think needs to be done in order to make sure that Black women have the space and the power we need to define ourselves? Yeah, that's a, it's the feeling of being seen, the feeling of being understood. And, you know, when we talk about representation, a lot of times people think that what we're looking for is carbon copies of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's simply not the case. I'm not looking for a photocopy of myself. I'm looking for something that reflects anything of my own understanding of the world and also something that challenges my understanding of the world. I think one of the things that was the most compelling to me about Audre Lorde's work in my 20s was that I felt challenged. I felt, I don't want to say called out because it wasn't that, but I felt held to account. And I love when writing can do that where it makes me take stock of my own choices and my own decisions, and it, it demands that I hold myself responsible and hold myself to a higher standard. So, you know, I, would I always like, I always hope that I can engender those same feelings in a reader. There is so much power in asking someone what they wish you to be for them instead of simply deciding what you think is best. Our attempts to influence, to control, and to shape an other are often reflections of our own limitations. I wish my industry would grow with me. Mm. Talk about that. I wish my listeners would grow with me. Meaning, if I move somewhere go there with me as well because you love what I offer. There's a meaning to everything I'm doing. You don't have to like it, but respect my growth because mm. it, it's going to come back to you later mm -hmm. when you're ready for it. It'll be there when you're ready for it. I was told you'll never make it in this business. You're not pretty enough. You should lose weight. You should be like this person, basically don't be who you are as you are right now. And it's okay to not like someone or to reject someone. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But to break someone's spirit is not okay. Mm -hmm. 
If the industry, if the audience, if you and I have the courage to allow others access to the power they so richly deserve, what does this make possible? What power do we all hold to allow others to be free in their journeys of self-definition and self-creation? Mm-hmm. Audre Lorde also described herself as a continuum of women and a concert of voices within herself. What kind of power do you think lies in having agency over self-definition? And how do you think we create more of that for Black women? You know, I think there are few things more powerful than allowing people to define themselves hmm. and allowing people to define themselves on their own terms. You know, a lot of times we clamor for people to be what we want them to be when we want them to be that person. And that's incredibly suffocating. And so I hope that Black women will always have the opportunity to be human and to contain multitudes and to challenge the dominant cultural narratives we have about Black womanhood. Because there are a lot of very toxic, negative narratives about Black women. And a lot of times when people see us, all they see is that narrative. And they have very low expectations for us. And we don't have to internalize that nonsense. And we don't have to have low expectations for ourselves. We don't have to settle. We don't have to lower our standards. And... I just tried to, you know, I, it's a, it's a, I'm a work in progress. And so I'm always having to remind myself, you know, not every day do I wake up and feel like, yes, I'm going to conquer the world. That's just not how it works. <laughs> and, and, and that's part of black women being able to define themselves. Like some days I, I, I feel incredibly insecure and incredibly fragile. And other days I feel like I can and will conquer the world. And both of those things, I think, deserve space. And both of those things are true. Um, and so I, I just, I always want for all of us to be able to be our fullest selves as much as possible. There's the power we hold as individuals, and there's the power we share. The community, the sisterhood that is found between Black women and femmes. That power is specific, and it is extraordinary. And often we can be pulled apart from each other by those who benefit from reducing our strength. What can we find if we prevent that, break the silences, and hold power together? Especially Black women, we need each other. We count on it. Like, I don't know what I'd do without you, because you were there when I was ready to quit. You were there when I kept growing and changing. You've been there the whole time. And we don't even talk all the time, but when we do talk, we talk it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and wherever I go, I go, Anika, come on. And where you go, you go, Anika, come on. L learn to embrace your circle and hold on to that, those pieces to become a better, better businesswoman, to become a better woman, to become a better man, whatever. Just embrace who you are fully and walk into that and love who you love. It it still goes back to the core of uh, of spirit. I don't care what you do, even if you're focused on the numbers. What's people want authenticity? They want to want to feel organic, like you're being, 
You're touching them through the screen. And it shows when I'm in the audience or when I'm walking down the street. Oh, my God, I love your music. I saw you back in 19... You know, they know the date, what happened, how it felt. You can't buy that. Um, and and let me bring you back to this part of, of that question, and then we'll swing back to that if we have some time. Specifically, because I don't, I don't, I feel like we could figure this we could touch this again. What silences do you think have to be broken? And what sisterhood do you think we can find in the breaking? One thing that I have found in doing the series and talking to women, like I guess after the second, second day that I did it, I sat down and I was telling a friend, I said, Jesus, black women really need each other. Mm-hmm. We need each other. And sometimes I think we don't realize how much so what is the, the sisterhood that you think we could find in the breaking of the silences, whatever they may be? Well, you know, I think it's the sisterhood of knowing we're not alone, of knowing that there are other people out there who may not have our exact same experiences, but who have similar experiences, who understand mm-hmm. what it's like to move through the world as us. But also beyond that, I think that there's a lot of sisterhood just in sharing, in that sort of space of of being seen and allowing ourselves to be seen. And I think that can be incredibly powerful. I would agree with you on that. Black women's power is something that benefits us all. It makes us healthier, stronger, and freer. It gives us a vision of spaces where we aren't diminished by sexism and by racism. It is potent, and yet it does not have to be perfect. Because when each of us is powerful, together we are even more so. In the ways that we can hold each other, challenge each other, and remind each other of what's possible, what has yet to be created, and what we so undeniably deserve. Because I don't know what what I would have done without you. So thank you for that. And here I am telling all my business on this podcast. I love you so much. I am I love you more. So grateful that that you're still here and that you're here with a sense of internal purpose that will keep you going when this business fails you because the business will fail us and it'll fail us over and over again. And that's something that people need to know. And you're not yeah. alone. I had yeah. a, there were a few years ago when I I had I called a girlfriend of mine and I said I don't I don't I don't really want to be here anymore. And um you know, I don't think I'm I don't think I was strong enough or something enough. I wasn't going to grab a handful of pills. I wasn't going to jump off a building, yeah. but I truly in my spirit felt like I didn't want to be, be here. here. Yeah. And um that's a difficult difficult, lonely space to be in. And we do need each other. We, Black women, we need each other. Uh, We need love. We need unconditional love. We need honest love. The love of, that is the love of friendship as well as romantic love. We need love and we need to not be afraid to search for it and to find it and to hold it and to release it when we need to. Because love changes too. So I'm so grateful that you're here and 
And, you know, I'm sharing a little bit of my story to, to talk with you about your story because I think it's important for people to know that when you're looking at people who appear to be on the top, sometimes they're looking at you from their bottom. Mm. Mm. And it happens more than you know. So I'm going to end this by saying that I love you dearly and I think you are magnificent and I recognize the sun in you and I have from the first moment I feel like we met and we saw each other and recognized each other and I'm grateful for what you give to the world in your art and with your spirit and I'm really grateful that you found a way to keep some for yourself that's it (laughs) you can make me cry I love you I was about to get real oh god <laughs> Thank you, Anita. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. You're I love welcome. you, friend. I love you too. Being Seen is produced by Harley and Company and created in partnership with Vive Healthcare. <laughs>